Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, September 17th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writers Y-Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Welcome back, Chris. Um, thanks yeah uh okay let's uh let's jump into it uh i have a front heavy uh thing so uh, i'm gonna be talking for a little bit here so i apologize but uh what i've been doing i've been um this past week i went to halloween horror nights in universal studios hollywood i talked last week about going to halloween horror nights in universal studios uh orlando florida and uh it's uh you know in Florida, I said everything's bigger and better. I was expecting to – this is the first time I've gone to both in the same year. And I was expecting going to Hollywood that uh, I was going to be very disappointed coming off of Florida. But I was actually quite pleasantly surprised at how – how I, I mean, Florida is better. <laughs> I'll say that straight up. But it is interesting to see what different creative teams – how different creative teams tackle the same properties – like both did Stranger Things, both did Ghostbusters, and if you watch those mazes, I, I you know I'll link to them in the show notes. Like they did them in different ways, even though like like say Ghostbusters for instance presents the story of the first Ghostbusters movie in chronological order. Like there's different scenes and different scares and different uh, just uh, different uh, how they use illusions of ghosts and technology and how they you know, bring Slimer to life. Like in Orlando, there was a point where they used like, uh, like this, like almost like Pepper's ghost illusion, like to use a projection down a hallway. And then the same one in Hollywood was actually like a life-size Slimer maquette that was actually coming at you. So it it was very interesting. I will say this, uh, you know, I'm, I've been, uh, I I have a new camera. I think I've talked about that on the podcast and it's, it's, uh, it doesn't have stabilization, so I've been looking for solutions to that. I got a 
gimbal, a the Zbil Lab gimbal, and um, this is one of those things. It's almost like a Steadicam, so it make it. Uh, you put it on top of you put the camera on top of this thing, and it basically adjusts for shakes and jitters and whatever and it basically makes it the footage look like you're gliding on air um i decided to use this for the first time at universal studios hollywood during halloween horror nights and uh guys this was a mistake (laughs) uh this this thing basically weighs another couple pounds on in addition to my heavy camera so by the end of the night my my arms felt like they were gonna fall off like I was in so much pain. There was like I want to say like maybe an hour into the event, I looked over at my friend Jeff, and I I was sweating like almost like sweating to the point like I I was when I was in Orlando. I looked at my friend Jeff. I was like, "Is it really hot out, or is it just I'm out of shape?" And he's like, "You're out of shape." <laughs> so well, was it worth it for the footage at least? Uh. I think the footage looks incredible. I'm not sure if any of you guys have watched that video, but uh, the footage looks amazing. I'm just not sure if it's worth it. Peter, this is an exercise. Like every time you go out now, you're working out. It's great. Keep it up. <laughs> um, yeah, but well, well, you out there listening to the podcast, check out the video. Tell me if it's worth it because, like, it feels like I'm at a point in this vlogging journey that I'm in the battle of, you know do I want it to look a lot better or do I want it to be easier and be more versatile and being able to capture, you know, more things in the moment. So like, it's, it's like a battle of those two things. Uh, and, um, okay. I'll, I'll move on from that. Uh, but I, I did, I, I did also go to Disneyland this weekend and I, to experience Halloween time, which is my favorite time at Disneyland. They like deck out, all of Main Street and all, all the both parks uh, to celebrate Halloween. Yeah, yes, I know it's September, but it, it happens early in theme park land. And um, they also during this time have one of my favorite versions of a of a ride. So in Disneyland, some of the rides they will retheme for Halloween. So Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, which is this uh, this retheme of Tower of Terror, it, it's basically Generally, it is you being recruited by Rocket. Uh, the, the Guardians have been trapped in the Collector's Museum with all his other things and monsters and whatever. And you have to break in and help him, uh, you know, break out the Guardians of the Galaxy. And by by the spoiler alert, for the end of that ride, you end up breaking out everything in the Collector's Museum. And, like, all his creatures and stuff are running wild as you're, like, exiting through the gift shop. Uh, the cool thing is... During Halloween, they do a thing called Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Monsters After Dark, which only starts at dark time. So it starts at like 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. And it's basically a sequel to the Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. So basically you're entering the Collector's Museum, but the monsters have already escaped. So the lighting's like ominous and there's like flashing lights and like projections of like creatures like running about. And, uh, and you're basically – you have to go back in there because – the Guardians did escape, but uh, Baby Groot or Little Groot, Brett, what is the distinction? Is Baby Groot the one that's in the pot, and then the the walking one is Little Groot? I mean, yeah, the one that's in the pot is definitely Baby Groot, but I think that a lot of people still refer to the one that's like a little kid as Baby Groot too. Uh, so, 
See, I said yeah. that I said that in the video, and then someone like got really mad at me for calling the walking the little walking Groot thing baby Groot. But anyways, um, baby Groot or little Groot has been left behind in the collector's warehouse. So you have to go in there while all these monsters are running around and uh, break him out. It's basically the same ride with some heavy metal, and it's it's just a lot. I don't know. It, it's a little bit more adult and, and a lot more fun. Uh, so uh, I did make a video about that. I'll also link that in the show notes. Um, and um, I'm also going back to Disneyland tonight, guys, <laughs> because uh, every uh, Halloween time they do these like nighttime Halloween party events, which are these extra ticket events. And I'm going to this thing called Oogie Boogie Bash, which is the first time it's happening in Disney California Adventure. I think they programmed it over there because they thought Star Wars Land was going to be so busy. So they were like, let's put everything over in the other park. Uh, little did they know. Um, but um, I thought uh, HT might be interested in this. Like, So at these parties, um, they have a lot of like weird uh, characters that are not normally out in the parks for meet and greets and like, you know, photo ops and stuff like that. And I looked at the list this year and they are actually for the first time ever in Disneyland doing a meet and greet with some of the characters from the video game Kingdom Hearts. I was actually going to ask that. That's amazing. Which characters do you I, know? I, I do not know, but I will take a picture and I will send it to the Slack channel tonight when I when I see them. But, uh, yeah, yes. And it's a fun fact that Oogie Boogie, um, in the first Kingdom Hearts game, you play in Halloween Town and you get to fight against Oogie Boogie and it's great. So that's why I thought immediately, I'm like, oh, I wonder if Kingdom Hearts <laughs> will be there. So it's cool that it is. Yeah, I know they've done, like, those characters, like, overseas, like, in Tokyo and stuff like that, because, you know, obviously it's way more popular over there. Um, but this, I think this might be the first time it's in Disneyland, so it's crazy. I'll talk about that next week. Uh, lastly, I know I've been going way too long about theme parks and stuff, but uh, my visit to Disneyland Resort this weekend got me thinking, I, I love Christmas season. You know, I, we have, like, this huge Christmas tree. We have a droid tree. We have lo- tons of ornaments and we usually erect this erect those things uh, right after Halloween, so like in November. So it, 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 we, our Christmas season basically has the same calendar as Disneyland's Christmas season, and I, I we just love celebrating it and stuff like that. And we have some Halloween decorations. And while we were at Disneyland, Disneyland has this thing called the Halloween Tree, which um, is inspired by the short story by. Oh my God, Ray Bradbury. Yeah, Ray Bradbury. Yes, who actually helped with Epcot, and it was a big. Uh, it was a friend of Walt Disney and stuff like that. Anyways, um, I so I've got the inspiration. I, I think we we were gonna get a Halloween tree and get some like Halloween uh, decorations and ornaments to put on it. I know Jacob and Chris, you, you are big uh, people that like to celebrate Halloween. Do either of you have a Halloween tree, and why not? I do. I do not have a Halloween tree because. <laughs> I have animals, and policing a Christmas tree for one month a year is already a huge pain in the butt. Yeah, no, I do, I do not have a Halloween tree. Um, in my old apartment before we moved to this house, I had an entire room that was like a Halloween room, but I don't have that now because I'm an adult. I'm a grown man. <laughs> I, I have a Halloween tree. I have a Halloween tree in my front yard, um, and it, like during the rest of the year, it has leaves. But on Halloween time, it uh, the leaves fall off, and so it looks it looks dead. Looks dead. But I do you even po- know there is such thing? It's as a normal Halloween tree. Days. It's a normal tree, Peter. <laughs> no, but I'm talking about decorating with like orange and purple lights, and it like being... is this a thing? <laughs> I don't know if it's a thing. I Who mean, has I... time for this? I barely have time 
to wake up in the morning. I don't have time to put up trees in my house. Get out of here. That's the title of the next James Bond movie is No Time for Halloween Trees. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, That is all for me. Uh, Jacob, what have you been doing this week? Uh, I'm planning for Fantastic Fest, which is my favorite week of the year. And the, the irony about this is it is the most relaxed festival in the world to cover and to attend. There are no lines. You do all your film selections uh, on the website. You kind of go with the flow. We're not even like planning our coverage extensively until we're on the ground. That's because we can literally sit at a bar and like all be in the same place. And literally, I'm going to have the easiest eight days of my year at Fantastic Fest. But planning for it and planning for the easiest fest of the year means me stressing out. So I am currently just going wild in my brain space, trying to prepare for the easiest week of the year. So I will be gone for the bulk of uh, this weekend next week, but I'll come back with reports from a whole bunch of uh, really cool movies and hopefully lots of wild stuff. Cause it really is a pretty uh, interesting week. Cool. Okay. Um, Chris, what have you been up to? Uh, I just got back from TIFF. Well, not just, but a, a few days ago. Um, and I had a great time. And we, we actually did a whole TIFF podcast. I won't talk too much about TIFF. But I you know, I, I love I love TIFF. It's my favorite festival. I, I actually went to like a few parties this year, which I, I don't normally do. And I saw famous people like up close, which is always weird because they're always very attractive. And it makes you feel like 10 times uglier when you're like in their presence although i will say i went to this one party and john ham was there and he was dressed really shabbily like i was dressed better than him and i was like come on john ham what are you doing he had like a sweatsuit on it was like come on put some effort into it but other than that i had a great time <laughs> um and now i'm getting ready to go out again i'm i'm also going to fantastic fest and this is actually my first year going and i don't really know what to expect uh i'm looking forward to it except for the flight which everyone who listens to the show knows i'm very bad with flying and even though i i fly more and more every year uh my fear of flying does not get better it somehow gets worse and uh i (laughs) i don't know what the solution is i'm just gonna have to eventually find some sort of like therapist who specializes in (laughs) fear of flying because it's it's bad and uh i'm you know as much as i'm looking forward to getting out you know to austin tomorrow and and taking part in fantastic fest uh, the thought of, of having to get on a plane, it's like a three-hour plane ride for me, is uh, is filling me with severe dread. So uh, it's like a it's a mixed blessing. I'm excited, but I'm also um, very terrified. So we'll see how that goes. You need to find a hypnotist who can uh, hypnotize you and right. take away your fear of flying. What I want is, you know how like if you go and you get surgery and they they put you to sleep. I want that. I want there should be like that that guy on the plane. He puts the mask over your face. He makes you count backwards from a hundred, and you you're like you're out like a light. And then you wake up as the plane is landing. That's literally what I need. And until that's, that exists, I don't know. That's how you get incepted, though. Yes. Yeah, that sounds like that's the beginning fun. of either a thriller or a horror movie, which Look, I'm, Chris, I'm sure I, wouldn't mind. Yes, I'm fine with either of those as long as I don't have to be aware that I'm on a plane that is thousands <laughs> of feet in the air. Huh. Okay, well, I think we've learned from your TIFF experience that if you're you're famous and charming, you don't have to try as much. You can just slide by in life, right? 
like uh, John, uh, yeah, like John Ham. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Ben, what have you been up to? My parents came out to visit for the first time in a little while, and we had a chance to see John Mayer at the Forum, which is great. Uh, my family has has been a big fan of John Mayer's music for a long time. Uh, I, I sort of went back in my mind and I realized that the first time I ever saw him was 16 years ago with my dad um, when I was in high school. And uh, it was just cool to see him again with my dad, even though my parents had like separate seats from my wife and I, because we had bought our tickets uh, early and then they decided to come out and uh, they were on a vacation in Hawaii and decided to just stop over for a couple days back, uh, you know, before they headed back to Florida to hang out with us for a little bit and realize we were going to the concert and they're big John Mayer fans too. So uh, we all went together sat separately but it was still um an incredible concert and um he played covered in rain which is a song that's like a real deep cut that wasn't even really on any official album that i knew of because i was a big fan from way back in the day and uh a lot of great stuff and you can check out his instagram for more on that i saw that he he played free fallen too which is probably uh like one of the best covers ever uh brad i have to tell you i i like teared up uh when i heard that live because yeah it's an incredible cover and he told this story about just how much that song means to him and how you know when he was a a kid he heard stories um you know he heard about california and it was one of these places that sort of calls to you in pop culture and tom petty's california specifically was like such a an evocative thing for him and and to hear that song uh done that beautifully um you know acoustically and and all that stuff uh at that concert was just um yeah a really special experience so uh very very good stuff um if you can go see john mayer i would highly recommend doing that he's a terrific musician and honestly i think like one of the best living guitar players in the entire world and as somebody who uh is not very good at playing guitar but uh certainly appreciates great guitarists um yeah that just adds an extra level of enjoyment for me so the the last time i saw john mayer was also when i was in high school and i went with my another friend of mine who was a big john mayer fan and this was back when maroon 5 wasn't super big yet so maroon 5 opened for john mayer oh wow and that and john mayer did the coolest thing uh whoever the other guitarist was in his band uh came up behind him and reached in front of john to play his play john's guitar and (laughs) and john reached behind him and played his guitar backwards. Wow. <laughs> and it was it was amazing. <laughs> that's very cool. I've never seen him do anything like that. I wonder if, if something like that's on online somewhere. I'll have to check YouTube, scour the internet, see if I can find something like that. It's pretty wild. Um, and then uh, the next night, my wife and I had the chance to see Middleditch and Schwartz, which is uh, Thomas Middleditch and Ben Schwartz, who are two actor comedians. You've probably seen uh, Middleditch on. He's the lead of um, the show on HBO, uh, Silicon Valley. And Ben Schwartz played John Ralphio in Parks and Recreation. Those guys are like two of the best improvisers, I think, ever. And um, they have just a a duo basically where they go to the Largo uh, theater here in LA and they perform for like an hour and uh, you know, it's all improv. It's all on the spot. It's a once in a lifetime show that'll never happen again because it's all based on stuff that they're making up in the moment. And um, I'm, you know, there's no point in like recounting any of the things that happened there because it's all like very, you had to be there kind of thing. But um, the shows that we went 
uh, and, and saw or the single show that we went and saw was part of a, a two set show that they were doing to raise money for the uh, relief for the Amazon rainforest. So they raised like $13,500 for that. Um, so it was pretty cool. And the show was so funny and so great that like as soon as we walked out of the theater that night, we immediately bought tickets to see them again when they come back in October. So if you're in uh, Los Angeles and you have not seen these guys, it's well worth the like 30 bucks or whatever it is for the, the ticket prices because they're hilarious and I, I've not laughed that hard in a long long time I have not seen enough improv shows like I'm just not like an improv guy uh, I've only oh, seen Peter, a you should go I'm telling you it's so funny well I had a I have a question here like obviously like comedians write jokes and stuff like that in advance but improv is like a different thing mm-hmm. like is there the possibility that there's some improv comedians that like have things banked and are looking for points in the set to you like to pull something out that they have pre-written like uh, brad is that like a thing uh not commonly no like it, like it's not impossible like there's there's always sometimes you have something that like you've thought of before that is funny that may pop into your head at a given time because it just so happens to fit in a scene but the nature of improv is such that like especially if you're doing something where you're getting suggestions from the audience like that it would it would be a detriment to the sketch the scene whatever it is itself for any comedian to try and shoehorn something pre-written into anything like that and because it, it's really easy to tell because improv is so natural and and authentic yeah. in the way it just comes out that you would be able to know something was written but and there but there are some people who they're they're just so good at coming up with stuff on the spot and they're just so in tune with the construction of a joke and where to take things that it, it feels like it easily could be written, but they're all these guys are just really good at, at improvising. See when someone's good at something, I always like they're cheating somehow. They must be cheating. <laughs> what a terrible way to live life. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to what we've been reading. And of course this is Jacob's segment of the week because he's the only one that reads stuff. Now, Jacob, what have you been reading? Oh man, I feel bad. I'm not, I'm not reading a book right now. I'm between books, so I'm gonna talk about, I'm talking about SCP, which stands for Secure, Contain, Protect. It is an online wiki project. Uh, the idea being that uh, the SCP is an international organization that uh, houses, protects, tries to destroy all the various, you know, fantastical, evil, curse objects from around the world, and. Every couple of years, I fall into an SCP hole. I go on there and say, oh, I wonder what's new on SCP. And I just fall in there for hours and hours and hours, clicking links and reading stories. And the fun of it is that essentially a big found footage uh, uh, website where each uh, entry, each uh, object or creature or person who's on file here, it's written as a government document, like written in the form of of, of someone who's working in a bureaucracy trying to file away information about this cursed object or this cursed person or this evil monster. And so it's information about how, where it's stored, where it's kept, uh, how you uh, keep it from causing trouble. Uh, is it super dangerous or is it, you know, only going to cause trouble if people provoke it? And some of them are really, really complex and go on for thousands and thousands of words. Some of them are like one paragraph long. Some are incredibly chilling and terrifying. Some are really, really funny and like disarmingly hilarious. Some are really cheesy and like go and end up their own butts in ways that I personally don't enjoy. I tend to like the ones that are a bit more direct and a bit more creepy. But when you click on SCP article, uh, you never know what you're going to get. And it's really fun to sort of get lost in this fake world of um, cursed objects and, and monsters and people with powers. And it, some of them are just so good. And it makes up for the fact that some of them are so not good. 
And if you just look up SCP online, you'll find it. And they do a pretty good job of curating it. Uh, you have to go through a pretty extensive trial process to be able to uh, add to the wiki. So I very rarely have found articles in there that are just straight up trash. Even the ones I don't enjoy clearly have people who enjoy that style of writing. But as far as like grand experimental genre projects go, uh, it is a very interesting thing. It's been going for a long time now. And I'll probably read it obsessively for the next few days, then fall <laughs> off for a year, and then go back into it. Um, you know, it's now in 2020 again. Sounds like the way to do it. Okay, let's move on to what we've been watching. We have no crossover this week, so I'll start things off. Uh, I only watched one thing this week. I I found out, I forget how, but Kitra had never seen What About Bob? So I was like, oh, we have to watch this. And it it was only available to rent on iTunes. It wasn't like, uh, I I think if you have Cinemax, it's it's on Cinemax On Demand, but we don't have Cinemax. Was it because Uh, of the cross-stitch that I bought over the weekend? Maybe I don't know what 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 cross stitch did you buy? It's what about Bob? It's uh it's from the Gallery eighty eight had a new um show with those like little mini cross stitches that have movie quotes on them and it has a little goldfish in a jar and it says I feel good I feel great I feel wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. Maybe it was because of that. I don't even remember, to be honest. But uh, she had never seen it, so I had to put it on. I haven't watched it in years. I remember loving this uh, as a kid and um. This movie uh, came out in 1991. It was directed by Frank Oz. It uh, stars Bob as this, uh, I mean, Bill Murray as this guy named Bob who basically is, he has every single psychological disorder. Like, he can't touch anything. He can't, like, he can't leave the house. Like, he, he just has so many, so many problems. And uh, he gets uh, assigned to this new, uh, to a psychiatrist, psychologist. I'm not even sure. Uh, Richard Dreyfus, basically, and uh, Richard Dreyfus is—he meets with him. He's going on vacation for a month, and Bob, uh, you know, obviously needs help at, at every given hour. So Bob finds a way to hit uh, to find where he has gone on vacation and basically hijack his summer vacation. Um, I'm sure everybody's probably probably has everybody here seen What About Bob? It's been a long time, but I have seen it. Yeah, I've actually never seen it. Oh, oh, it's, it's so good. I know another movie that I, I've missed uh, just yeah. because I think it came out probably when I was really young. Yeah, ninety one. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I was not born yet. Yeah, uh, it uh, it's directed by Frank Oz. Um, it has a great nineties score, like a classical like nineties score. And um, you know what's interesting about this is like it is a co- it, it is. It is a dark comedy, but it is a comedy version of a thriller. Like, this plot could easily be remade with this, like, guy, you know, with Richard Dreyfus being the protagonist and this crazy guy kind of hijacking his summer. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I'm, I'm kind of, it's kind of weird that that was never made after the success of this because I feel like that would have been the way to do a sequel is to do, like, a spin off alternate version. Um, uh, I somehow didn't realize that the son in this movie is the kid from Hook, and he's also in Can't Hardly Wait and a bunch of other stuff, too. Um, Charlie Corsmo. Yeah. Uh, this is a Touchstone movie, so is this going to be on Disney Plus? I Actually, I should have looked. We had an article today, which I'll link in the show notes, that lists everything that is going to be on Disney Plus. Uh, did anybody see What About Bob on there? I did not, no. but I, I, yeah. I, there were a lot of movies on that list, yeah. so I could have just overlooked it. Because I'm wondering how much Touchstone Pictures, like which was owned by Disney, <laughs> is going to be like on that service. Uh, it's also there are, definitely, there are definitely some on there. Yeah, 
It's also worth noting something I didn't notice when I was younger is like this the whole climax of this movie is Good Morning America is coming to do a piece on Richard Dreyfus's character. And I, I didn't realize at the time, but ABC is owned by Disney and it's, it's this big, uh, <laughs> you know, cross synergy thing. Um, Richard Dreyfus is just so good when he's like at a 15 out of 10 in terms of like, you know, just his him just having outbursts and stuff and bill murray is just i don't know for me i know bill murray has some great performances this is like one of my top five bill murray performances but this movie has the most bizarre ending and i hate to bring it up because hg hasn't seen this movie but it's one of these weird ending like in the 80s and 90s they had these endings to movies that like Almost like are not an ending to the movie, but then they have half like upbeat music and it like ends, and it's like one of those movies. It's so weird. Um, but I I don't know if you've never seen What About Bob, I would check it out. Uh, I I it's really enjoyable. It's it's stupid, it's silly, but it, I think it's fun for both kids and adults. Uh, Jacob, what have you been watching? I watched two very different uh, genre movies. The first is Tigers Are Not Afraid. It was a big hit at Fantastic Fest about two years ago where I missed it and regretted it because everybody kept talking about how what a profoundly moving experience it was. And then it kind of sat quiet and dormant for a few years. But Shudder, the streaming service, picked it up. It is now streaming there. Uh, I caught it in the theaters where it's playing a limited run. This is a uh, Mexican film from director Issa Lopez, who also wrote the script. And... I guess the highlight to sum up what it is, it's there's shades of Guillermo del Toro in here, particularly uh, Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth, but it's also a lot of um, Grave of the Fireflies, the uh, animated film about uh, orphans surviving after the firebombing of Tokyo. And the gist here is that it follows a group of kids whose parents have all been kidnapped or uh, murdered by drug cartels as they live homeless in the streets of uh, an unnamed Mexican city. And it essentially is literally a fairy tale. It, it, does, it wears on its sleeve. There is magical realism at work. Uh, the main character, a young, young girl, believes she has three wishes uh, that can come true uh, in ways that she does not expect. There are ghosts. There are uh, urban legends. And the magical elements creep in from the background uh, as the movie focuses on the forefront of these kids trying to survive, trying to get by in a world where their parents aren't there and where you know, the adults literally want to kill them because they're caught in the middle of cartel drug wars. And it's only 82 minutes long, clearly made on a low budget, but it is a beautiful movie. I I cried a bunch. It is spooky, but not necessarily scary. And it is just this perfect blend of the magical and the real and using that magic to really examine, you know, a time and place. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of Pan's Labyrinth, how it used, you know, the fantasy setting to examine, you know, the historical time of you know fascism in spain uh, during that time period whereas this is using a similar tone to explore the drug wars and the kids who are left behind and orphaned by it and the entire time i was watching this uh i kept thinking man ht needs to watch tigers are not afraid Uh, ht have you seen this my ears perked up when you uh mentioned pan's labyrinth and everything you said just now sounds like it's a movie really made for me um i haven't seen it yet i'm really i really want to i don't have a shutter account but I might get a free trial just to watch this because it really sounds up my alley. Yeah, this is, if you have Shutter, Shutter is the uh, five dollars a month uh, horror streaming service, and uh, I, I almost feel bad this is being relegated there because it's not quite a horror movie. It, it is spooky, and there is a major plotline involving ghosts, 
Uh, so it definitely does, it's definitely not out of the realm of, of you know being horror adjacent. Uh, but I think that this is going to appeal to people who aren't necessarily horror fans. So this is, Tigers are not afraid. Uh, if it's playing by you and it still is in limited release, check it out. If not, sign up for that Shutter uh, free trial and give it a stream. Uh, I also watched Haunt. This is the uh, new film from Scott Beck and Brian Woods. They wrote uh, A Quiet Place, and this was the, they used pretty much used the power they got from A Quiet Place to write and direct Haunt. And to be, to be clear, there's another horror film called Haunt out there that's terrible from a few years ago. So if you're looking for this one, this is the 2019 Haunt. And this is a rare horror movie where it really genuinely gets better as it goes along. I feel like so many horror movies peak early and peter out as they try to find a way to end. Whereas Haunt uh, starts off kind of weak and sloppy. But, but by 20 minutes in, I was invested. And by the end, I was really having a ton of fun with it. And with each reveal, it gets better and better. Uh, the gist is that a group of college students... On Halloween, uh, go out to find a haunted house, find one in the middle of, of nowhere, to kind of extreme haunted house where you sign a waiver uh, saying, like, you know, I disavow anything about to happen to me. They go in and things start to go wrong immediately in the haunted house. It's, it's learned that maybe people running the haunted house don't have the best interests of their customers in mind. And like I said, get through the first 20 minutes. And uh, I was ultimately really sold on this. Uh, there are some really nasty moments. There's a moment that had my wife like shriveling up and screaming and, and on the couch. Um, if you like your hands, um, you will not like some things that happen in this movie. Uh, but it escalates in, in ways I was not expecting. There are some big reveals and it ends on a high note, which is not, something you can't say about most um, horror movies like this. Also, I'm just a sucker for um, movies where uh, haunted houses go wrong, uh, like Hellfest, uh, the House in October built, Hell House LLC. There's an entire subgenre of evil haunted house movies, and Haunt slides right into there. And this one's available for rental on iTunes on VOD. Uh, I think it's five nine nine on iTunes, which is how I saw it. But that's Haunt. I liked it a lot. Brad, what have you been watching? Um, I finally got around to watching Ready or Not which is uh, a darkly comedic thriller uh, that follows this family who owns a gaming dynasty that have this weird uh, tradition um, that they have to have the a new the person who enters their family in marriage plays a game in order to properly enter their family. Uh, but and among the games are very you know traditional things like backgammon and checkers, but then you know the, there's one game that you probably don't want to play and that's of course, the game that the bride ends up drawing, um, and it's hide-and-seek, and the entire family has to hunt down the bride to try to kill her before dawn, or something terrible happens to this family's dynasty. Uh, this movie is, like, so much fun. It is an absolute blast. It's so bloody and twisted and just just downright fantastic. Um, it also stars Samara Weaving, who uh, is Hugo Weaving's daughter, and she is outstanding in this movie. Uh, I hope to see her do so much more. She's already cast in the upcoming uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music um, as either Bill or Ted's daughter. I, I can't remember which one. I hope it's Keanu Reeves because that would be uh, just kind of a fun coincidence. Um, but yeah, so uh, th this movie is just, it's, it's fantastic. The, it is so just, just twisted. The deaths are brutal. There's so many moments that make you cringe and so many moments that surprise um, it, it's probably one of the most fun experiences I've had in the theater this year. Uh, if you haven't seen it, if you've been, you know, sitting on it, like just head out to the theaters 
to check it out because you will you'll have an absolute blast watching it. Uh, before you send us emails, listeners, uh, Samara Weaving is Hiko Weaving's uh, niece, not his daughter. I'm just going to point. Oh, that I thought. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm stupid. No, you, you, you realize that she looks just like him, so it's an easy thing to assume. I could have sworn we talked about this like in the Slack, and and she was his daughter. Uh, I, I assumed this too, but I looked it up, and I think I, I said like before the movie started to my wife, "That's that's Hugo Weaving's daughter." And I looked up afterward. In fact, I was like, "Oh no, I was wrong." So yeah, I told my girlfriend the same thing, so now I have to go tell her that I'm that I'm wrong about everything. <laughs> ben, what have you been watching? I had a chance to catch up with Hustlers, uh, which is the new Jennifer Lopez, Constance Wu movie that is written and directed by Lorene Scafaria. And I liked it. I think uh, I think my thoughts sort of mirror what HT said about it when she saw it recently, which is, um, you know, I, I like the it's very stylish, um, but it, it sort of felt like there may be like a little bit of uh, something slightly missing for me. I didn't I didn't like flip for it like everybody seems to be um there are tons of like memeable and gifable moments and it's a really good time at the movies um i think it's it's better than a lot of stuff that you're gonna see in in theaters this year probably but it's still i don't know i I just wouldn't call it like a transcendent movie so maybe if you lower your expectations a little bit um then you'll have a better time but uh it's performing pretty well you know at the box office and um uh, yeah like i said the, the performances are good and i think um jennifer lopez in particular like does some of the best work of her career in this movie so um it's it's a fun movie and it, it sort of reminded me a lot of uh, of wolf of wall street um just in the way that it's sort of uh laid out and it's and it's template and construction but um and, and like the stylistic elements as well and apparently scorsese was like considering directing this at one point um so yeah it, it's it's in theaters right now you can check that out if you choose that's hustlers uh i also saw anatomy of a murder which is a 19 what year did this come out 1959 movie that was um produced and directed by otto preminger and it stars jimmy stewart and lee remick and george c scott and jimmy stewart plays a lawyer who basically takes the case of a an army lieutenant whose wife was raped and the lieutenant killed the person who raped her and it's basically just a huge trial like a like a law movie it's it's like two hours and 40 minutes or something like that it's very long but it's it moves so quickly because the dialogue is so fast and it seems like this is not like anything that you know james stewart is is, he's famous for a lot of um snappy dialogue and, and stuff like that in movies like the philadelphia story but this seems i, I was watching it on uh, turner classic movies and they were saying afterwards that this is like the movie that he considered one of the biggest challenges of his career because there's just so much dialogue to memorize it's all people standing around and, and talking in a courtroom for the most part and um it's really riveting i think stewart in particular is, is really really good in this movie he's bright and charismatic and um, funny and like passionate and sort of fiery at times too. Um, so if you've not seen this movie, I would recommend it. It's, it is a little bit more straightforward than I was sort of hoping it would be, especially with a movie of of that length. I was kind of hoping for like a, uh, I'm not going to give away what happens in the movie or anything, but I I was just hoping that it would, it would have a little bit of extra punch to it, a little bit more narratively satisfying than, than what I found it to be. But has anybody else here seen anatomy of a murder by any chance? 
Uh, I have, and it's it's great, and it has a really cool jazzy soundtrack. Yes. Oh, thank you for for reminding me of that I meant to to mention that uh, Duke Ellington did the score, and um, yeah, I, I really loved the the look of the of the movie paired with the that jazz that is just going throughout most of the not during the court proceedings really, but like every other part of the movie, it's basically playing out. Um, it's just a lot of fun to listen to it's very um i don't know it, it sort of centers you in a time and place and uh I, I found it to be really effective so um that is anatomy of a murder i watched it on turner classic movies i also watched the witch or the the witch <laughs> uh robert eggers movie from 2015 i saw this for the first time on netflix so it's there right now you can stream it if you like i know that there are probably multiple people on this podcast that love this movie so this may be a controversial opinion to just say that i appreciated it and kind of liked it but didn't love it um, uh, I, I'm I'm with you on this one Ben I know I know uh, Jacob is just in love with I'm, this movie my the heart first is broken th- a little the first thing you see when you walk into my home is a, is a poster of Black Phillip oh so. my gosh um so I, I don't I don't really know what to say here because I know that I'm everything I say is being judged harshly by <laughs> the rest of the staff basically but um I I so look, I think Anya Taylor Joy, who this was her like breakout performance, and I think this is uh, the best work that she's that I've seen her in so far. Um, Ralph Ineson, who's a guy who is has sort of been around in a lot of things, and you know, he was in like Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, and he was in Guardians of the Galaxy and Kingsman the Secret Service playing Game of Thrones and the British Office, <laughs> right? Yeah, but like the year, the year before The Witch, he was playing Ravager Pilot and Policeman in those two movies. And then he plays the family patriarch, William, in The Witch, and he, like, blew me away. I thought he was really, really great, and and it's just rare for me to see Ralph Innocent in, like, a, a substantial role like that. So um, I just wanted to give a, a quick shout-out to him. But for me, the, the biggest um, drawback for this movie was I really liked the setting. I liked the world, the dialogue I, th- I found to be really um, compelling. I just wish it was a little scarier. I wish there was more that happened in it, like, more scares. And then maybe, like, a... Uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> this movie opens with a woman grinding a baby up. What what more do you need? It's like the the first 10 minutes of the movie. There's literally a scene where a woman uses like a, a mortar and a pestle and grinds up baby goo and then covers herself, <laughs> covers her naked body in the baby goo. I don't, I don't know what more you need, Ben. So I love that, Chris. I thought that was horrifying and really chilling to watch, but then there's so much movie where nothing really super scary happens. And I just look in, in all seriousness, I, I love the witch. I think it's one of my like all time favorite horror movies, but I, I readily acknowledge that it's a very slow burn and it's, it's definitely not your, you know, a movie for everyone. So I, I won't judge you too harshly. <laughs> I, I, the scary moments really worked for me. I just wish there were more of them. And that that's really where I sort of come down on the witch. Like I, I appreciated the experience. I love the, the craft and the um, the artistry of the production. I just wish that it was like a little bit more uh, scare heavy. So I don't know. I don't know if that what that says about me and my horror bona fides, which are not. I don't really have many, but um, or what that says about me as a horror fan or something. <laughs> it if says I'm like, you're a basic bitch. Man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's sort of what I'm getting at. Yeah. For for, um, for, for me, so. it's not about the the. It needs more scares. It just needs 
more to happen. Like it, it is so much of a slow burn, and I feel like it's too much of a slow burn. For it's me. that it's that impending sense of dread though that makes it so good. Like it's it's a slow burn, sure, but there's just this uneasy and unsettling feeling throughout the entire movie that makes it like feel creepy the entire way through. Yeah, I, I think that, that helps it get under its, your skin a lot. And I think that that paranoia really builds to whether it's actually happening or whether this is something that's all in your head. And I like that effect a lot. Yeah, I, I agree. I just I wish that that blanket of dread was a weighted blanket, that it that it had more pressure on me throughout the whole movie because I felt it. I just wanted to feel it more throughout the whole thing. But uh, OK. And I also saw One Cut of the Dead, which is a movie that I think Jacob and HT and maybe Crit, I don't know, a bunch of people have talked about it on the podcast before. So I'm not going to talk too much about it other than to say that it's really, really fun. It is uh, written, directed and edited by Shinichiro Ueda. I think I said that correctly um and it, basically the movie is a, a one take indie zombie film for the first 37 minutes or so and then something else happens and i'm not going to say you know how the movie sort of plays out from there but uh it, it's it appears to be very very low budget and sort of um i don't know like shoddily thrown together at times when in the first 37 minutes when you're watching this uh this little zombie movie and then it opens up into something that um that recontextualizes what you've seen in a way that I found to be uh, incredibly satisfying. Um, this movie is in theaters right now in LA. I think they're actually doing one night screenings across the country in like 60 theaters tonight, September 17th, 2019. So if you're listening to this and you want to see it in a theater tonight, sounds like the night to do it. So I don't know if you can like change your plans and, and make that happen. But um, I, I think you'll be pleased with the end result because this movie is a lot of fun. Um, if you miss it tonight, uh, it is coming to shutter soon. So that is one cut of the dead. And I'm sure we're going to be talking more about this movie uh, as the year goes on where we can maybe dig into it a little bit deeper. And then finally, I watched Millennium Actress on uh, HT's recommendation uh, she talked about this movie a lot on last week's water cooler episode. And wow, this movie is incredible. I uh, It's on Amazon Prime Video right now. I was just scrolling through this morning looking for something to watch. And I didn't even it, I didn't even have it in my watch list yet. I just came across it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is that movie HG was talking about. And I just sort of watched it on a lark. And I'm so glad that I did. It is uh like one of the best animated movies. I, I'm having really good luck with animated movies this year. Um, Castle of Cagliostro, I loved. And this movie, I think, is right up there. HC, last week, but, but, I think you referred to this as the Citizen Kane of uh, of anime movies. Is that right? Yes, and I will stand by that statement. I, I think I stand right there with you. It's it's like an incredible movie. Um, by the way, Ben, you, you call it luck. I call it uh, taking HT's recommendations. Well, yeah, there, there's that too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially in this case because wow um satoshi khan was the the writer and director of this and uh i mean i'm, I'm hesitant to even say too much about it because i don't want to like set it up too much and hdu spoke so passionately about it um last week that I, I couldn't even compete in that in that regard especially you know coming off of a first viewing but um it it reminded me a little bit of uh of your name which is an anime movie that that sort of um i don't know like I guess sparked my loose interest in the genre. I, I was like very opposed to all things anime for a long, long time. And HD spoke so highly about your name that I checked that out and found it to be this really sweeping love story that connected with me on an emotional level. And, and, um, you know, was easily, uh, it easily surpassed any sort of aesthetic, uh, choices that I 
that I didn't love about anime as a whole. And um, this movie has that same uh, yearning uh, romance at the center of it. And I just found it to be so powerful. And HT talked a lot last week about the editing of the film, which is incredible. The story is about this um, young girl who, or basically it's about an, uh, a retired actress who like revisits a bunch of elements of her, her life, a bunch of periods of her life through her movies and these, this documentary crew that are trying to, uh, interview her and it's it's very um impressionistic is the wrong word but like surreal i guess where it, it sort of uh jumps through a bunch of her different films and it's all about this this like long lasting love story that uh i just found to be so moving um so yeah millennium actress is on uh amazon prime video right now i would recommend just diving in without knowing any more than that and it's um i i found it to be very very moving then now that the gates have opened for you with anime films, I <laughs> highly recommend you watching all of Satoshi Khan's other films. He hasn't directed a lot because he sadly passed away, um, I think, in 2011 or 2007. I can't remember the exact date. But he has – every film that he's made is just phenomenal. If you're looking for something more along the lines of Millennium Actress, something a little bit more optimistic, I recommend uh, Tokyo Godfathers. It's a film that is definitely one of his happier ones and is kind of almost frank – Capra-esque. It's a Christmas movie, but it has some of that more seedy uh, underbelly elements of his other films that uh, kind of ground it in a way that's really uh, interesting and really phenomenal. And of course, Perfect Blue and Paprika are also excellent. Paprika, oh, sorry, Perfect Blue is the one that I, I uh, give a slight warning against because it is really harrowing to watch. Mm. Um, but it is, every one of his films are just insanely amazing. Yeah, it's going to be tough to to beat this one, I think, because I, I think I'm, I started on the top because this is a really, really fantastic film. So, yeah, highly, highly recommend Millennium Actress, which is on Amazon right now. I hate that when you, you like find a new great director, but you find them at the peak of their work and you go explore like their other stuff and you're like, oh, it was not as good as. You know, not quite as good You're as chasing that. the dragon. You yeah. never quite catch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, HT, what have you been watching this week? Uh, I got to see It Chapter 2, which I actually quite liked. I came in with pretty low expectations because, because I'd heard so many mixed reviews of it. But I enjoyed a lot of it. I do think there were some elements of the horror being undercut by humor that uh, took me out of a few of the scenes. But overall, I thought that the two almost three hour runtime didn't drag too much for me i think that they were able to pack in all the story that they needed to and i don't think that there was any moments that i felt like could have been totally cut maybe some things could have been sped up a little bit but uh otherwise i enjoyed it i do think that the adult cast doesn't have quite the same chemistry as the child cast and whenever we cut to the child cast i couldn't help but think um what this film would have been like it, if it had been intercut with the first film uh, and like interwoven the story in the way that Stephen King's book had. I hadn't read the book, so I don't know exactly how it plays out. But every time we got went to a flashback, I just kind of got a little glimmer of what that movie would have been like. And I feel like it would have been a lot better. <laughs> um, and not to say that this is a horrible movie for, uh, per se, but um, I liked, I did like some of the like, you know, campier moments that came in with the horror. Um, but I do think that in dividing the two stories, it loses some of the elements I really liked about the first one in that, you know, it Pennywise itself 
acting as a sort of allegory for these kids' personal demons and their personal fears, and the idea of the town itself being kind of twisted and poisoned. Um, I feel like some of that gets lost in this, which feels, in it's chapter two, which feels more like a kind of blockbuster climax in a way, um, a little bit divorced of the context, uh, similar to how, uh, you know, in when Deathly Hallows in Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows gets split, split into part one and part two, part two feels very much less just like a battle uh, movie. This kind of feels like leading up to that fight without a lot of that emotional buildup. But um, I enjoyed it and I will say, um, yeah, wasn't terrible. <laughs> and I liked it a lot, quite a lot more than yeah. I thought I would. Well, Andy Muschietti is going to be creating a supercut, which he hopes to film extra scenes and put scenes that were cut back in. So you're going to get your chance, HG, to see that. Uh... Although, Chris, has he said if that supercut is going to be an intercut, like, between? Uh, he has not clarified yet. He said they're still sort of, like, negotiating it. So we'll see. Yeah. yeah, I'd be curious to see that version now, see, even want, though it is four hours. I, I want to see that version, and then I want to see, like, someone like, you know, Topher Grace or someone, like, edit that down to, like, a three-hour movie and see what that is like. It's probably not good, but I, want, I, I still want to see it. Um, what else have you been watching HD? Another movie I watched is a film called Miss Purple, which is directed by Justin Chan and written by Chan and Kristen. And this is his follow-up film to his 2017 Sundance Darling. Um, this is a, his 2017 is a base is named after a racial slur. So forgive me if any of you guys are tuning in now. Uh, it's a film called Gook. And so um, this film, uh, as opposed to his last film, is much less racially charged and much more contemplative. It follows a young woman named Casey, who is taking care of her father, um, who is um, essentially on his deathbed. He's comatose. Um, But after his caretaker leaves, she refuses to put him in hospice. And so she turns to her estranged brother, who reluctantly returns home to um, help take care of him. And it kind of becomes about these two siblings who are overcoming their traumas and the struggles of that uh, first-generation immigrant life and um, overcoming to the uh, estranged relationship that they had with their dad uh, when he was alive. And it's a very, it's a very um, just, uh, yeah, contemplative and um, uh, thoughtful film, uh, very much more gauzy and slow-burning than uh, his last film, but I really enjoyed it. It's beautifully shot and um, with a wonderful performance by uh, Tiffany Chu, who plays the uh, main character, the titular Miss Purple. Uh, She's a newcomer and um, excellent in this role. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's also, it's showing in select theaters in New York and LA now. Um, But if you have the chance, please check it out. Uh, He, Justin Chan is a a really promising um, rising Asian American director who um, I am excited to see the rest of his career. This is a really impressive, just kind of not second showing, but like newest showing from him. So I'm excited to see where he goes from here. Um, Another movie I saw is a film called Chained for Life. And this is a film directed by Aaron Schimberg. Uh, it's fall, it stars, actually, uh, if you guys have seen Under the Skin, um, Adam Pearson, who was the um, uh, disabled character who showed up in Under the Skin. He kind of he plays a lead role in this film. And it follows a, an actress who is shooting uh, a, a 
sort of a low budget exploitation film and struggles to connect with her disfigured co-star played by Adam Pearson. And um, it's a very sort of surreal, um, almost send up of exploitation films. It takes place, it's a film within a film essentially, in which the cuts between like the reality in which they're shooting the film and the film itself are pretty seamless and you're not exactly sure what the reality is. Um, and it kind of uh, builds the relationship between these two characters throughout. And um, it is it is very low budget, um, but it's uh, really well performed and uh, a movie that I was very pleasantly surprised by. I went to see it uh, because I, um, my friend actually was a productions assistant assistant on this movie, so it was kind of a nice local film. But um, I was really I was pleasantly surprised by, th- by this film and enjoyed it quite a bit. And um, I recommend it too if you are able to catch it in theaters. Um, I think it just opened also in select theaters in New York and LA. A lot of these are are not quite accessible to everyone, but if you can, please check them out. Um, and then another movie I saw. Uh, So New York Film Festival is about to be underway. So the press and industry screenings have started this week. And the first movie I saw for the New York Film Festival press industry industry screenings is a movie called Synonyms. It's a a French-Israeli film directed by Nadav Lapid about a young Israeli man who's kind of trying to flee his homeland and his culture. And uh, he goes to Paris and attempts just kind of separate himself as much from his previous life as possible. And um, it's an interesting film. I I can't say I know completely what to make of it. Uh, The best way I could describe it is that it's a very stoic film. Um, The everything about it is very almost is intentionally wooden and almost doll like Uh, the characters make choices that don't quite make sense. And a lot of the choices in this film, uh, I didn't quite understand either, but I liked all of them. It kind of gave you a sense of hyper-reality that um, uh, was really interesting to see and kind of, um, uh, I'm still trying to unpack it, honestly, (laughs) but I will say that the lead role, uh, the lead performance by Tom Mercier is excellent. And um, he does an excellent job of playing this almost alien-like man who doesn't react to things in a way that you would expect a normal human being to react. Um, and he is, uh, it's just so, it's like an isolating performance that I think um, really speaks to that experience really well, uh, that of being neither here nor there, um, a part of any culture. And um, yeah, I, my take on this film is uh, something that I'm kind of working on now, is that it's about a man who is a radical but without any beliefs. Uh, so I think that's what this movie is going for, and I I think it succeeds at doing, and um, is such a, a really fascinating character study um, itself. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's a very uh, dreamlike film. I, I also recommend. I don't know when it'll be out in wide theaters. Right now, it's just making the film festival circuit. I think it debuted at, at uh, the Berlin International Film Festival, where it got a lot of rave reviews. Um, and uh, so yeah, it's it's quite good. And um, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, that's another great film that I liked. And that's the last of the movies that I watched this week. The, late, the, the thing that I'm really excited about is the new season 
of Terrace House. <laughs> you guys might have heard me raving about this Japanese reality show before on the water cooler. There is a new season out. It just dropped on Netflix this past weekend. Um, Terrace House, 2019 to 2020. Um, uh, so, or Tokyo, 2019 to 2020. They moved the show back to Tokyo. Uh, last season was in uh, Karizawa, which is a more rural area of um, of uh, Japan that was, I think, a couple miles out of Tokyo. But here they are back in Tokyo, leading up to the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. And um, I'm really excited about this season so far. And it might be my favorite opening uh, cast of of uh, residents so far uh, of the Tokyo of the Terrace House um, seasons that are on Netflix. I am really enjoying it. I uh, I do wish that um, because this is a, a season leading up to the Tokyo Olympics that they had some athletes on the cast. But there is a nice variety of people. There is an illustrator, an actor, an actress, a musician, a fitness trainer, and um, some kid who wants to be an actor but is kind of just like working as a part-time shop uh, assistant right now. But they have really good chemistry so far. And I like that this season the focus is less on just the romances but also on the kind of the careers and um, sort of uh, work struggles of these young 20-somethings, uh, in one case, one thirty-something, And um, so I, I like that a lot. The, the illustrator in, in particular, Kaori, uh, has a really great um, sort of heart-to-heart -heart about how she's having basically imposter syndrome. And that was a really great conversation to see on Terrace House. This is just a great show, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like how Chris loves his wholesome baking shows and competitions. Terrace House for me is just that wholesome, genial reality show in which nothing happens. It takes 12 episodes for someone to confess their feelings to each other. Um, <laughs> we haven't even had like a real kiss yet. We have had a kiss on this season, but it was in a... Um, a, a scene in which one someone was acting for a, a film that they were doing, a softcore porn film, actually. So that was really exciting to see. Um, so, <laughs> but um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's such a, a genial, like amiable reality show. Um, something that feels both like a, a interesting culture study of of how Japanese, how young Japanese people act in day to day life, but also in the reality without the drama. I mean, there is some drama, but all of it is kind of really uh, mundane drama in a way that's so entertaining. <laughs> there was an incident this episode uh, or this this season in which the someone cooked tried to cook carbonara, but they cooked it horribly wrong and they just dropped an egg in the boiling water. So that was that was a great incident right there. Oh, I have to also have to say <laughs> the food this season is impeccable. One of my favorite things about Terrace House is that it's um. It's a really beautifully uh, shot, minimally shot uh, reality series. Uh, and um, they often focus on the backgrounds and the environments and often the food. And um, you can, there's, this season has been just off the charts. I think the roommates this season have been cooking a lot. So you see a lot of great food shots that look delicious and give you good recommendations for restaurants if you ever go to Tokyo. In fact, on YouTube, one of my favorite compilation videos of Terrace House is a compilation of just all the food shots <laughs> on the show and it's both the most calming and amazing compilation i've I, i've seen it's great anyways terrace house it's on streaming on netflix right now the first 12 episodes of this season 
uh, Terrace House Tokyo 2019 to 2020 is now streaming. See you next week on the water cooler. Ben's going to have binge binge watched his way through Terrace House uh, because of <laughs> HD's recommendation. No, uh, I, I watched Terrace House like a couple seasons ago. I think when you and both both you and Dan Trachtenberg, we had an episode where he was on talking about it. And uh, yeah, we th- we, ra- we raved about it for like a full twenty minutes, but you didn't record. I think that would have been a really fun conversation. Oh, was that not ever published? Oh, I, that's I don't think it was. Yeah. Um. I found it to be a little bit of a slow burn compared to American reality series. Yeah. But I would uh, I'd be interested to hear what other people on this podcast think of Terrace House if you ever dip your toes in. Oh, uh, well, I want to say one more thing. Yeah. One more th- great thing about Terrace House is that in addition to being that slow burn is that you don't have the traditional talking heads uh, of like interviews that you have with the reality show in America, for example. You have like commentators that are like yeah. at home watching it. There's it's weird. There's a panel of like celebrities <laughs> and comedians who every 15 minutes will just kind of sh- pop up on the screen and they're watching it with you. And we'll basically try – we'll basically just uh, break down every action that happened like someone brushed their fingers against someone else's arm and they're like what does that mean and they go on about it for like 15 minutes and it's great it's like watching a show with people with like your friends um and it's the the closest equivalent i can think of is like an after show panel like the talking dead but actually inside the show itself um so that that's kind of the fun of it it's um it gives you like a lot to talk about without actually without anything much happening by the way, you've now put in my head that like I would like a version of the talking like those like after shows that that is how they do it, where they're like yeah. it's actually like an audio commentary for the episode instead of being what it is, which is a lame interview show. But uh, okay, Chris, what have you been watching? Uh, I don't know. I had to follow that. That was such a in depth. <laughs> Sorry, I got too excited. Um, yeah, mine will be a lot less exciting. Uh, as I said earlier, you know, I went to TIFF. We did a whole TIFF podcast, so please go seek that out to hear me talk about good movies. Now, now that that's out of the way, I saw, I finally saw Men in Black International, which is, of course, the new Men in Black sequel slash reboot. And, oh my God, how is that movie so bad? I was... (laughs) I was legitimately shocked at how bad it was. Like I wasn't expecting it to be good, but it's like offensively bad. Like I I've never seen a film with so many talented people in it be so terrible. Like, like Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson have proven time and time again, they're both incredibly charismatic actors, but if this were the first time you had seen either of them in a film, you'd be like, wow, I hope these two never work again because they're, they're just so lifeless and the script is just terrible. It's just, it's a, it's, it's probably like one of the worst studio movies I've like ever seen. I'm, I'm shocked this like somehow got released. It's, it's that bad. Like what the hell happened with this? I really don't understand. Um, uh, and then I saw Aladdin, the new Aladdin. And I got to say, you know, as far as these things go, you know, these soulless corporate live action remakes of Disney films, this isn't that bad. I mean, I, it's, it's <laughs> they're, they're, okay. They're, they're going to put this quote on the cover of the home video release, Chris. <laughs> yes, I hope they do. Like, it's, you know, as far as things go, it's okay. I mean, Guy Ritchie does not know how to direct musical sequences, which is a problem because this is a, there's a 
this is a full-blown musical and his idea for directing musical sequence is to literally just have the actors like walk around while while lip syncing and it's really not good but beyond that it's fine you know it's entertaining will smith is fine the act the other actors are fine everyone is fine it's a this is a definition of a fine movie it's it's nothing extraordinary it's nothing mind-blowing but i don't know maybe because i went into this with like the lowest of low expectations just because i'm so tired of these these live action disney films i was I don't want to say impressed, but I, I liked it more than I thought I would. Like I'll never watch it again, yeah. but for what it was, it was fine. It, it's also one of these movies that your expectations are so low. Like you watch the trailer and you see Will Smith as Aladdin and you're like, Ugh. I mean, as a genie and you're just expecting the worst. And right. he's not that bad. He's probably like the best part of the movie. So yeah, I, I you know, I, I had watched the trailers. I'd been like, Oh man, this is going to be a train wreck. And because it's not a train wreck, it sort of tricks you into thinking it's an okay movie. And it probably isn't. I'm sure like if I had never seen a trailer for this and I went in blind, I'd be like, Oh, that sucked. But because I went in with zero expectations, I, I, I liked it more than I thought I would. Okay. Let's move on to what we've been eating. Uh, I was briefly back on my diet, but I'm now off diet again because I have a bunch of things happening this week that I just can't be on diet for. Uh, but I, I, while on diet, I t- finally took Jacob's keto recommendation of eating ramen with no noodles, which sounds insane. And I did so at Pudo Ramen, uh, which is near my house. And uh, I had some kind of like short rib ramen with no noodles and extra meat and Jacob, it was incredible. Like, I don't know, like, why this isn't a thing that more people on the keto diet talk about because, like, there is a healthy amount of fat content there. Uh, it's, I mean, it's probably a little bit more calories than I want, but, like, it, it is a really nice filling meal. Yeah, I think it's because most people associate ramen purely with noodles when the flavors for me are everything else. So I don't miss the noodles. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's really good. So uh, if you're looking, uh, to go low carb and stuff like that. I would, I would say check out ramen, no noodles, extra meat. It might cost you a little extra, but it, it, it's worth it. Um, Brad, what have you been eating this week? Oh, just more wacky stuff. Um, I got a another Airheads Jones soda mix that is available only at 7-Eleven. Uh, 7-Eleven has this like deal with Jones soda where they get these exclusive flavors every now and then. Uh, and one of them is this cherry pineapple burst uh, flavor that is comes from Airheads Paradise Plan uh, Paradise Blends uh, edition of the the candy that's like a you know a, a chewy fruity taffy. And uh, I had previously tried the Airheads uh, mystery flavor one, which looked like dirty dishwater and tasted like you know all the Airheads mixed together, uh, which I think is what mystery Airheads is. But uh, this one's much better. It actually tastes very similar to um, the the new Taco Bell uh, Cherry Sunset um, p- Pineapple Slush that's available there now because it has the same fruit flavors. Uh, this, this The pop itself is actually a little bit sweeter, I think, just because of the Airheads influence. These The Jones sodas are always very uh, sugary, even more so than your average uh, regular sodas from from coke and pepsi uh but the, the flavor is pretty good uh so if you're if you happen to be at a 7-eleven it's probably the better option of the 
uh, exclusive flavors that 7-Eleven has from Jones Soda. Uh, and then I finally got a new uh, cereal after there haven't really been a lot of new ones for a while. There's a new Captain Crunch flavor called Cotton Candy Crunch, which I'm not the biggest cotton candy fan, so I was like already fairly leery about it. Um, the scent of cotton candy is actually much stronger than the flavor in the cereal itself. Uh, if you have it dry, it doesn't taste much different from regular crunch berries uh, that you get either in the Captain Crunch Berries or the Oops All Berries cereal. There, There is a hint of cotton candy like aftertaste, but it's not overwhelming. So you're, you're really just getting a slight cotton candy flavor as opposed to one where a cereal tastes exactly like cotton candy. And having it in the milk didn't really do anything different. I was kind of expecting the milk to maybe taste a little bit more like cotton candy uh, after the cereal sat in it for a little while, but that was not the case. It's, uh, like I said, it's pretty much just standard Crunchberry cereal with uh, a dusting of cotton candy flavor. Yeah. Cotton candy is, like, trending now. How, do, how does, like, food become trending? Like, do you know what I mean? Like how, like, a couple years ago, you know, pump the whole pumpkin spice trend started, but now, like, cotton candy is, like, is it because of, like, the whole Starbucks uh, unicorn kind of thing. I think so. I, I, we talked about this before, too, because, like, every now and then it seems like there's some kind of flavor trend that's happening. And I wonder if it's just because, like, some some company that creates artificial flavors has figured out how to create it in a way that makes it easy to use on, you know, chips or cookies or, or whatever it is. And so suddenly everyone does it. Uh, some of the flavors are obviously seasonally inspired. Yeah. But but yeah, there's uh, it seems like every now and then there's like a big trend of all, everyone's trying to add a certain flavor to their their snacks. If we get cotton candy Oreos, then we'll know that that must be it. See, there you go. Okay. Uh, lastly, I wanted to give a shout out to a new app I've been using. I've been doing a lot of video editing for this vlog channel, Ordinary Adventures, uh, linked in the show notes, uh, and uh, I do so on my 15 inch uh, MacBook Pro. And I was saying to a friend who's an editor, my friend Jeff, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about getting, like, an external monitor because I need more room for, like, this editing workflow. And he was like, you don't need an external monitor. Do you have an iPad? And I, I do have an iPad. He recommended this app called Duet. And this isn't an ad or anything. This is something I've been using lately. But you download this app called Duet. I think it's, like, 10 bucks right now. And you hook your iPad, I think you could do it through Wi-Fi, but I hooked my iPad up through the lightning cable to my laptop. And you basically can set your iPad next to your laptop and use it as a second screen. And it's uh, pretty much lag free. It's a, you know, very, 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 very slight. Um, but uh, I've been using it and I've uh, now been using it outside of um, editing. I keep my, like, uh, we have a Slack channel for uh, for slash home purposes, and I keep that like in the extra monitor, so I have extra room on my desktop now. So uh, I highly recommend if you have an iPad. I'm not sure if it works on like the really older iPads, but uh, if you have you know an iPad in the last few years, it probably works on that. That's it's an app called Duet. Okay. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify. Send us your feedback. Send us your questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. Hey. Hey, Peter. Yes, Jacob. Um, I just want to say that... I've been hearing what people have to say about this joke book. 
and they've all been very encouraging and telling me I should keep doing it forever. Wait, who, who are these people? <laughs> all the readers, all the listeners, they all appreciate the gargantuan book of insult, offense, and affrontery by Lewis A. Safian. But I'll make you a deal, Peter. If 10 people email in and say, stop the joke book forever, I'll stop the joke book forever. <laughs> but if 10 people email in and say, keep joke book forever, then I'll keep it forever. So it's up to you, listeners. Oh, no. Do we keep the joke book segment going or not? Anyway, I've opened up to the cranks section, Peter. Do you want to hear about how you're all cranks? <laughs> I mean, don't do, have a do I? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, do we have a choice? Jacob. Well, Peter, the last time you were in a hospital, you got get well card from the nurses. <laughs> they want you to get out quickly, Peter. I I, I get it. <laughs> well, one time, Ben, he was sick in bed for a week, and his secretary sent a sympathy card to his wife. <laughs> ben, you have a secretary? I mean, don't you? Slash one oh, pays for mine. Shit. <laughs> well, HT, she's always willing to face the music, so long as she can call the tune. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, here's the best one ever. This one makes perfect sense. Uh, Chris, he can become very unpleasant once you get to know him. No spelled N-O. Ah, yes. Oh. Thank you. Wait, uh-huh. that actually fits perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Brad, his liver is out of order and his opinions are the same. <laughs> Uh, oh boy. This whole podcast is out of order. <laughs> so if you enjoyed this high quality content, you should email Peter and let him know to keep it. If you did not enjoy it, you can email Peter and let him know to drop it. It's in your hands, listeners. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.